I don't like to draw attention to myself. I, I hide behind God's word. Um, that's more I'm most comfortable. But I do want to say to those of you who have asked and, and, and have prayed how grateful I am for those prayers for my mother. She had a heart valve replacement on Tuesday. She came out of the hospital yesterday. She's home, and uh, it's just incredible modern medicine how they can do that. Yeah, thank you. And uh, she had a cow valve put on, so when I go into her room now, I just say moo uh, to her. The opening line of my sermon won't surprise those of you who know me. Imagine that you love golf. And that you buy golf magazines and you get instructional videos and you even subscribe to the golf channel. And then one day you get home and there's a message on your answering machine and it's from Jack Nicholas offering to fly you in his private plane up to Pebble Beach and he is willing to give you tips that will improve your game. Now, do you think you'd take him up on that? I mean, it's a no brainer to get an opportunity to get instruction from who I think is the world's greatest master in the area of one of my greatest passions. And it's a no-brainer. Now imagine, for you, whatever your greatest passion is, who that might be. Maybe it's Warren Buffett calls or Peter Lynch and they offer to give you some guidance on investing and they're even going to give you a little, little stake uh, in, in, in their firm. Maybe it's Jillian Michaels who calls you up and she wants to be your workout partner and whip you into shape. Or better yet, Jake Steinfield, the body by Jake, wanted to be your husband's workout partner and whip your husband into shape. Imagine my mother volunteering to take you shopping at Kohl's <laughs> with her 30% discount and her 15% super senior discount and the $50 Kohl's cash that she got from her last cash shopping spree. I mean, it would be a can't miss shopping experience. <laughs> now here's why I bring it out. The disciples are watching Jesus very quick, uh, closely. They saw in him someone who had a connection with God like they had never ever seen before. And I think if you were to ask one of the disciples, what do you think Jesus' secret is? How does he live such an extraordinary life? I think they would answer with one word, prayer. No one prayed like Jesus. It marked his life. In Luke chapter 3, verse 21, we're told that when he was baptized, as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit came on him. Now think about that for a second. He experiences God in prayer. And then immediately it says he went into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and solitude and prayer to be alone with God. The record shows that whenever Jesus' schedule got way too demanding, he would always end up praying. When he began his public ministry in Luke 5, 15, it's there in your sermon notes, study notes. It says, the news spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed. Often Jesus went alone to lonely places and he prayed. He prayed before he made all the big decisions in his life. In fact, in Luke 6, 12, it says, One of those days Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 apostles. So before he chose the 12, he spent all night praying. Could you imagine what it would be like when you have major decisions in your life to spend a whole night bathing that decision in prayer? He prayed when he was disappointed. In Matthew chapter 14, when John the Baptist was beheaded, 
And Jesus heard what had happened. It says he withdrew to a solitary place to be alone with the Father and surely to pray. He prayed when he was worried about his friends. In fact, in Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I prayed for you. Now, what must it have been like to be Peter and to feel like when Jesus says, I prayed for you. And then he goes on to say that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prayed when he faced his ultimate challenge. Luke twenty two thirty nine 39 says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. In other words, this was quite a p- common practice for him. And it says, and his disciples followed him. And he said, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. And he knelt down and he prayed. And so from the beginning of his ministry to the end, his closest friends, his disciples, had a front row seat to watch the greatest prayer who had ever prayed. And they saw that he was filled with peace and wisdom and spiritual power and grace when he prayed. And when Jesus prayed, they saw what happened. And so here's what I think. I think after hanging around with Jesus, they think, man, I would like to know God like he knows God. And maybe that's true for some of you. I think this is at the heart of life and faith, to know and to experience God. Well, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus was in a certain place, and he was praying, and his disciples were watching him, and then one of them has this great idea. What if Jesus could show us how we should pray? And one of them got up the courage, it doesn't name who the disciple was, but they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, I don't think that Jesus was shocked about that. I think he was waiting for that. I think he'd been setting them up the whole time. I think his greatest desire was to teach them how to pray. And he didn't want their prayer life to just kind of flounder around. And so now he's going to enroll his disciples into the school of prayer. And I believe that he would like to enroll you and I into that school of prayer as well. But I want to say right at the outset of this series on the Lord's Prayer that we're going to be doing for the next six weeks, uh, that, that you must make that request of God personally. You've got to do it yourself. And I want to ask you to make that same request starting today. Lord, teach me to pray. And he will. I think he's just waiting. But you're going to have to enter into this practice and you're going to have to carve out some time for it. And so when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he wasn't giving words to be recited. This is a framework for prayer. And... and The master is giving the art of prayer and he's opening the door to what Dallas Willard calls life with God. Now, starting this morning at Water's Edge, class is in Cheshire, and we're going to join Jesus in the school of prayer. And you and I are going to receive instruction from the master. And to kick us off, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And we're going to use the the version from Matthew chapter 6. Now, there's one... It's recorded in in Luke chapter 11, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 6, which came from the the Sermon on the Mount. And so that's the one that we're going to be using. So if you would take out or open up your sermon notes, and you'll see there, uh, I've highlighted it a little bit, the the prayer. Uh, Would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer? By the way, Luke chapter 11 says, it says to say the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, it says, don't be like the pagans who love to babble and use meaningless repetition and stuff like that. And so 
for a long time, what I had done is I'd rebelled against praying the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer in public worship services. Um, I thought what we were doing it up vain repetition. You know, sometimes you hear the story of the priest says, okay, go say three Our Fathers and you'll be okay, you know. And so this became a meaningless repetition. So when I was reading in the Matthew text and I thought, you know what, this is a model of prayer. It's not the actual words that we have to pray. But then when you read in Luke, it says, say our Father. And so I think there's a balance here, and I'm coming back to the balance of that. So let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all who agreed said, Amen. Now during the next six weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to master this prayer together. Boo Arnold and I are going to teach on it, but I, I want to challenge you to make it a part of your daily life. And here's one way that I'd like to invite you to do that. If you look on the right side panel of your sermon notes, you'll see that you can use the Lord's Prayer as a framework in your private prayers. Now this may be a fresh way for you to structure your private prayer time this week. Christians have done this for over 2,000 years, using the prayer that Jesus taught as a framework for their prayers. So when you say, Our Father, take a moment to just quiet yourself and remember who you're talking to. And then you say, Hallowed be your name. Go on to just give him worship and adoration and praise his name and, and so on as you go through the prayer. Then your will be done. Take time to submit yourself to him. And then under daily bread, tell him what your needs are. And so you just go right on through the prayer. And I put some kind of a, a framework for you to use there in your sermon notes. Now, traditionally, this is called the Lord's Prayer. But I think if we really understood it, it's the student's prayer. Because it's intended, Jesus didn't, this wasn't his prayer, this is his disciples' prayer. He was telling them, this is how, how you should pray. Not what, but how you should pray. And so I think if you'll sign on, I think we can learn together. And I think if we practice this prayer, learning from him in our daily prayer, I think that uh, six weeks from now you will pray differently than you do right now. And we're going to get more advanced stuff as we go along. But today, I just want to start with this question. And I don't always like to do this because it draws attention to people. But just for a show of hands, how many of you ever feel guilty about your prayer life? <laughs> okay. Join the human race. I think most of us have a problem when it comes to prayer. As I mentioned in the Friday briefing, we have a who problem. We get confused about the nature of the person to whom we're praying. People think that God is being angry with them or disappointed in them. And the who problem can keep us from really mastering prayer. And then there's the where problem. Where is God located? You know, often people think of God as being so far away, and they think about prayer as something we have to do to try to get in touch with somebody who's way off there in the distance. And so the where problem keeps us from prayer. And then there's the what problem. We're not always sure what we ought to pray, and then when we do get around to praying, we're not sure if God would be interested in what we have to say. And so these are some of the basic problems, a who problem, a where problem, and a what problem. And so just to start this series on prayer, we're going to look at, at what Jesus had to say about who prayer addresses, where he is, 
and what we pray about. So first, who do we pray to? Jesus begins the prayer with the words, Our Father. Now this is a very important part of, of the prayer. I'll tell you why. Some people, they find that their mind wanders sometimes during prayer. Psychologists call this condition mindlessness. For some of us, that's a problem that we have from time to time. For other people, it's just a way of life. You know, we're physically present, but our minds are always floating off somewhere else, and they go on automatic pilot. I'll give you a quick example of this. I'm going to say a question, and then you answer as loud and as quick as you can. All right, okay? Okay. The tree that grows from an acorn is called an... The dark vapor that rises from fire is called... The sound that a frog makes is called a... The white of an egg is called a... No, it's called the white of an egg. But you see, that's mindlessness. And it affects us from time to time. Jesus says there in Matthew 6, 7, When you pray, don't keep babbling like pagans who offer mindless prayers, vain repetition, just rattling them off. You see, even Christians can pray sometimes and it deteriorates as they, as they get into it and they start, I'll, I'll just tell you how I do it. I start praying and pretty soon I'm thinking about myself and then I'm starting to worry. Then I start to have a silent monologue and then I've lost the conversation with God. At the very beginning, I think I just need to stop and take my hurried mind and focus on the fact I am really speaking to somebody. I really am. And Jesus begins by, begin by calling our Father. Now, this is one of the most unique opening lines in the history of prayer. Our Father. When you use a name, what you're doing is you're making a statement about the nature of the relationship that you have with another person. And that's why names are so powerful. A name expresses the relationship that you have. And so you're acknowledging the context of that relationship. It shows how much closeness really exists to the person that you're talking to. So in a formal relationship, what I might say, when my parents used to introduce me to somebody, I'd say, hello, Mr. and Mrs. That was the context of my relationship. If I was a friend, I might call them by their first name. In fact, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, we used to put uncle or aunt before the first names of all my parents' close adult friends so that we could call them by their name and not have to call them Mr. or Mrs. If it was a really close friend, you might have a nickname. If it was a family member, you might have a pet name. And, and that expressed the fact that you had a unique relationship with that person. Now, I only have three people on this earth who call me father. And that single word gets my attention probably quicker than any other. If I pick up the phone and the first word I heard is dad, that establishes context between me and the one who's speaking to me that has a very strong bond. And everything else they say, the requests that they make, dad, do you think you could put $20 in my account? <laughs> or any confession that they might make, I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> Anything else they say takes place within the context of the relationship that is expressed in the word Father. Now, there were records in the Old Testament of people using the image of Father to describe God. That had happened before, but there is no record anywhere of anybody coming to God and addressing him as Father until Jesus. And then he uses the Aramaic word Abba. 
And it's not exactly like our word daddy because it has an adult sense to it as well as a children's word, but it was a very tender word in Aramaic. And there's no record of anybody coming to God in prayer and calling him that until Jesus. And Jesus not only does it, but he invites you and I to do it as well. So when we pray, you put everything else aside. You, you put aside a hurried mind. You remember that you're not just sitting there or thinking about things right now or worrying about things. And you begin with the phrase, our Father. I, I know so many people who, when they pray, their first thoughts are, I haven't prayed enough. I feel guilty because of the prayerlessness in my life. I'm not sure if this will do any good. I'm not sure that I have enough time to adequately do it or I don't know if I'm doing it right. Friends, I think those thoughts are from the evil one. They're designed to keep you from prayer. And you have to discipline yourself to not allow them to occupy your mind. You have to set them aside and then you start with the name Father. When you say that, this is God's heart. When you come to him, this is my son. This is my daughter. I love them. I love it when they call me Father. I love it when they set aside time to speak to me about whatever it is that's on their heart. Maybe we're going to have a chat about some sorrow in their life. Maybe we're going to talk about some joy. Maybe they want to express thanks. Maybe they need to confess something. It really doesn't matter because once we're face to face, we'll get around to everything that has to be talked about. But I'll make sure about that. But, but I love these moments when you come to me in prayer and you say, Father. Jesus, the master of prayer, says, start with the words, our Father, because that's who we're praying to. Now, here's Jesus' intent. I read a book several years ago by Dallas Willard entitled The Divine Conspiracy. And I want to read you one quote from him. Talking about the Lord's Prayer, he said, Jesus' intent was to bring his apprentices to the point where they dearly love and constantly delight in that heavenly Father, and they're quite certain that there is no catch, no limit to the goodness of his intentions or his power to carry them out. I want to paraphrase that. Jesus said his design is to bring his disciples, his friends, you and me, to the place where we dearly love and constantly delight in the heavenly Father that has been made real in earth through Jesus and that we're quite certain that there's no catch, no limit to the goodness of his intentions or his power to carry them out. And that's what it means every time you say, our Father. That's the one to whom we speak. So I think that Jesus says, hey, take the time before you pray to make, make sure you're real clear who you're talking to. And then the next line is about where he says, our Father in heaven. Now let me ask a question, where's heaven? How many miles do you think we are away from heaven? And we have this problem because we tend to think of heaven as some place in outer space. And as a result of that kind of thinking, what happens is that God seems to be very distant and that we don't have any access to him. We get the word, and I'll give you a little Greek word here, the word for for heaven in Greek is Uranus. We get the planet, we name it Uranus from that word. But here in the Lord's Prayer, it's actually an interesting thing. 
it's not in the singular form, it's in the plural form. Literally, the prayer would be translated from the Greek, our Father, the one in the heavens. Now, the heavens in the New Testament are used in a variety of ways. It's used as the atmosphere. It can be used as the sky that you look at. It can be used as the air that you breathe or for what, else, what is right around you. It's that close. And sometimes we talk about something and we say, we make the statement, it just appeared out of thin air. You know, it's right there. And I think that was Jesus' intention in the prayer. When you say, our Father who is in heaven, you're saying, our Father, not from a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. You're saying, our Father who is all around me. Our Father who is closer than the air that I breathe. Our Father who is here right now. And because God is so close, I'm never alone. I, I, I don't want to pick on Karen because I have done this many times myself. I will make a statement to open a worship service like, let us come into the presence of the Lord. And I wonder if God says, what do you mean? I've been present with you all week. You know, you're not coming into his presence. Kathy and I were talking about this this morning early. And, and we were talking about this idea of God's presence. And she said to me something. My, my wife is the, the, the real prayer in our family. But she says, what I do is I pray, God, may I sense your presence. I think that's a really good prayer. <laughs> you are present. May I sense your presence. Because God is so close, anything that I see, anything I experience can be a reminder that I can speak to the Father who is right here. My eyes can help me pray. And by the way, that's another interesting point to begin the session on prayer. What posture do you use when you pray? You know, what do you do with your eyes? What do you do with your body when you pray? I grew up in a tradition, and this is going to be kind of embarrassing to, 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 to mark because of our patio service today, but I grew up in a tradition that went like this. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And then we prayed. And I used to think that it was a rule of prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. And we thought that God was really far away, so he was, you know, so watching while you were praying might be a distraction to your prayers, to making contact. I thought open your eyes when you prayed was kind of like cheating. If I was in a restaurant and you know, our family would bow our head to pray and everybody had their eyes closed, but I might open my eyes and sure enough, the waitress was looking at me and I was embarrassed. I got caught with my eyes open. You know. But it's interesting, when you look at the Bible about Jesus' common posture of prayer, it will say he stood and looked to the heavens. Maybe that means he looked up into the sky. Maybe it means that he looked around him into the air. The records of scripture have a lot to say about people in the posture that they prayed. Some people stood. Some people kneeled. Some people laid prostrate on the ground. Some people stand with their hands outstretched. Some with their faces lifted to the sky. Some bowed down towards the earth. And so there is an element that body language is an important part of communication. You know, it's interesting, psychologists and, and people who know better than I do say that communication is visual. There's this body language, and the point is that your posture can help turn your mind towards God. When I confess, often I'll have my head bowed because sometimes I'm just embarrassed about my sin. 
When I worship, sometimes I will lift my face up and I'll, I'll raise my hands as I, I worship. just seems to help me to, to, to worship. When I ask for guidance, a lot of times I'll sit with my palms up like this as if I'm saying, God, whatever you want, I'm open to it. My sister, Carolyn, when she's with another person, often prays with her eyes open. And one of the things that she'll do is she'll look someone right in the eye and she'll just say, God, I am so grateful for this sister. God, would you pour out your blessing on her and looks her right in the eye as she's praying that prayer. Sometimes I pray as I walk. Now, I've gone through cycles in my life where I reach a point where I just get so frustrated about the lack of growth in my life, prayer life. I mean, if you charted my life, it, prayer life, it kind of goes like this. I read a prayer by Richard Foster shortly after I moved here three years ago. And here's what it said. Lord, help my need to pray become a want to pray. Help my needer to become a wanter. And here's what he suggests in his book. He says, tomorrow, instead of whatever you would normally do for prayer... Take a half an hour and go do what you love to do and invite Jesus to go with you. So I went for a walk on the strand after I read that. And you know what? I found that I was just praying involuntarily. I just walked along the ocean there and I, look, look at how beautiful the water is. <laughs> you know, look at, and, and I'm talking in a, just in a conversational type of way. And one of the most memorable times of worship and adoration is just looking at what God has done. Anybody notice what a beautiful day it is today? What day is it? This is the day the Lord has made. It's God's day. So take a few moments in a day, just like this, and just look at life as it emerges around you. God, what a wonderful God you are. What, how great your intentions must be and your power to carry them out because... That's our Father who is around you all the time. So where is he? He's right here, right now, closer than the air that you breathe. And then finally, there's this what issue. What should you pray for? Now, I want to be real clear on this. There is no concern, no matter how small, that God does not care about. There's no request, no matter how silly or trivial you think it might seem, that God doesn't want to hear. He wants you to pray about everything. He's concerned about everything. And we'll look at this later in the series, especially when we look at the request for the, Lord's, for, for the daily bread. But, but what I want you to note is the very first request that's included in this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray are the words, Hallowed be your name. You know, a name in the Bible is never something that just was a label for somebody. It always was a reflection of the person that it, was, that it expressed. It was a reflection of their character or their identity. And so it says, hallow or hallowed be your name. Now that's not a word that we use very much today, but it means to attach value to something. It means to give honor where honor is due. It means to recognize the worth of something. And all of us, especially in financial terms, we're used to attaching value to things. And sometimes we'll see something of great worth and we feel like people are not attaching the appropriate value to that thing. People don't recognize what it's worth. And this is especially true of God. And it was a sad thing 
to Jesus and to his followers still. The name of God, his person and his character and his heart intentions are nowhere seen anywhere near what their worth are. And we live in a world where his, world where his name gets blasphemed, profaned, and spoken casually of at least a million times around the world every day. And with some of the guys that I golf with. But so Jesus says, make the first request in your prayer, hallowed be your name. In other words, may the indescribable goodness of your person become so clear that you're regarded with generous affection and boundless love. That's a quote from Richard Foster. That's what it means to hallow God's name. May God, may people realize how worthy you are, God. Hallowed be your name, first of all, in me. So I have to pray, our God, our Father, who's all around us, hallowed be your name in my life and in my heart. Because one of the greatest mysteries of God is that he has allowed the holiness of his name on earth to be bound up in the character and the conduct of his people, you and me. We are a reflection of the character of God in the eyes of a watching world. To pray, hallowed be your name, and really mean it is not just to recite words. It's to say, all right, God, I hereby give up sin as best I can with your help. It's to say, I live each moment of my day in such a way, God, that at the end of the day, you'll be able to sign your name to my day. And the truth of it is that when I hit this part of the Lord's Prayer, very often what it does is it causes me to have to go to confession. The truth is, God, all too often other names dominate my day. Some other important person or spouse or a boss or a boyfriend or girlfriend or other gods name money or health or achievement so much more. And once I come again to you, God, I have to repent. I don't come to you in my name. I come to you in Jesus' name. And it's in his name that I'm a child of the Father. Hallowed be the name of Jesus in my life. And then we pray, not just hallowed be your name in my life, but hallowed be your name, Father, by every creature on the face of the earth. That's what we pray for when we pray the prayer that Jesus taught. See, really, that's what being a missional church is, to reach people who will then hallow God's name. And when somebody's life turns around like that, it's a miraculous thing. And many of you have been praying for people that you know. You've been praying for people that are far from God. Well, that's just the beginning of this prayer. The who, our Father, that we dearly love and who constantly delights in us. The where, he's all around us, close as the air that we breathe. And the what, and this is the whole earth, would come to treasure and honor God. And it starts with me. And so, now over the next six weeks, here's what I hope is that we'll go to depths of the greatest prayer that's ever been prayed. And if you sign on, both to be a part of our weekly learning times and to immerse yourself also in daily prayer for the next six weeks, I think we'll learn to pray like we've never prayed before. And if that happens, if we're all praying as students of Jesus, I think if a whole church learns to pray like the Master, you can imagine what might happen both in your life and in our church's life as well. Imagine how God would be honored. Now, years ago, I was in an accountability group of guys, and one of the guys said, you know, the, one of the best ways to pray is to use Scripture. Now, I always thought, why would you want to quote God to God? 
But he said that the reason that you do that is because then you're praying things that you know are consistent with the character of God. And you're also praying things that, that you know will bring reverence and praise to him. So out of that first phrase, of the Lord's Prayer, to worship and honor the Lord and to consider his greatness and his faithfulness and to be encouraged by his promises. I'd like to close today by praying some scripture over you. So let's stand and pray together. Can you help me? Did we have the offering yet? We did. Okay, great. So then right after I pray, Karen's going to lead us in the benediction. And, and I hope you'll have a great week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our Father, your word declares your glory. You're the only wise God who now speaks to us individually by your Holy Spirit. You are an awesome God. Your promises are still in effect. You loved us before the foundation of the world was created. Thank you for redeeming and reconciling us back to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we stand in awe and amazement of you. We join in with the heavenly host and cry out, Holy, holy, holy are you, the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was and is and who is still to come. As a church family... We want to imitate you by living lives that are filled with love. Father, touch the hearts of those who do not fear you and love you with all their hearts and souls and mind and strength. Holy Spirit, cause us to hunger and thirst for your righteousness so that we will be filled. Teach us to revere your holy name. Forgive us for worshiping you half-heartedly. Father, forgive us who know you as Savior and have a form of godliness, but we deny your power. Blessed are you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. To you, O God, belongs honor and power everlasting. To you, Jesus, the one whose name is above every name, we bless you. And Holy Spirit, we exalt you as the one who comforts and teaches and guides us and empowers us. You, Father, are righteous in all your ways. And we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.